a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, um, we have, I've been following this story, um, a lady by the name of Donna Miller, who recently moved to Utah before um, something happened to her on August 21st, uh, 2018. She was stopped. She had a traffic stop. Um, she was, she raised three children, single mom in Northern Virginia. And once they were grown at the age of 59, she came here to Utah to pursue her dream of becoming a nurse midwife. Uh, she found this LDS program, business program, and followed a promotional campaign uh, with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, of which she is a member. And um, Donna, are you on the line? Yes. Tell us, tell us the story of what, of what happened to you. I know you were driving uh, to Fashion Place Mall to uh, attend classes. Tell, tell us what happened. Well, back in 2018, at 3, three o'clock in the afternoon, I think it's a Tuesday afternoon, I was coming out to the Fashion Place Mall when Officer Allred pulled me over. And um, when he stopped me, asked me, do you know why I was pulling you over? So I said no, and he said, well, I ran your plates, and there was no insurance. And um, so I took out my insurance, and I showed him that I have insurance. And then he said to me, "Um, well, I have probable cause to think you're under the influence, and I need you to step out of the car now. And um, so he he says, because um, I'm going to have to perform a few sobriety tests on you. So I did, and um, because I knew I was not under the influence, and he started to perform sobriety tests on me. He did the first one. I blew. I walked. He did the eye test, and um, and then he performed like several other tests. And then he said to me, "Well, I'm going to have to um, um, arrest you." I was like, "Arrest me?" Because and he needs to call for backup. So he did. And did they? I'm um, sorry. Did when he said he was going to arrest you? Did they find any? Did he indicate that there were any traces of uh, blood alcohol in the test or any drug um, drugs in your system? Did these tests reveal anything that may have been positive? No, they, they revealed nothing. I blew zero content. I did the walk, and then he did the eye test. One of the things he kept saying to me. Your eye, well, your eye looked dilated. That's when we were standing before the office. Your, your eye looked dilated. You're not focusing. And um, and that's what he kept saying to me. And um, so the highway cops arrived, and two cops searched my car and came back and, you know, probably did a little sidebar conversation, telling him they didn't find anything but my laundry. And... 
he, I, the highway cop performed the test again on me, and then he arrested me and put me um, in his in his vehicle, mm-hmm. um, where we proceeded to go to the station. He put the handcuffs on me, put my hands behind my back, and took me to the station. On our drive to the station, I kind of said to him, my hands was hurting, you know, and he's like, well, if I were you, you know, trying to antagonize me to behave badly, I would do this. Um, I would just um, be mad, too. Mm-hmm. You know, I would be mad, too, if I were you. And so I realized what he was doing, and I kept silent. And he took me to the station, handcuffed me to the to the chair where a couple of other officers came. He said they were the experts um, on the, the, the sobriety test and, and the other tests. Mm-hmm. And they took my how, blood. How long were you at the uh, police station doing this? The station, I was held in the station for three hours. We were in the street for like an hour before we got to the station. So let me ask you this one more time, and then, I'm, uh, of course, I want to make sure that um, Scott gets gets sure. in and asks some questions also. But I just want to ask this one more time. A- after going in um, to the police station where you were um, questioned, um, did, again, did anybody indicate that they give you any tests, that they show that there are any tests that came out positive? I know he said that the eyes seemed dilated, but did they give you any reason as to why they arrested you or what the what – the, um, uh, no, what the charges were. No, he did not give me a reason. Actually, while we were waiting for the other cops to come, um, I said, I need to make a phone call. And he snatched my phone out of my hands and said, no, because I was going to call. I was new in Utah, and the only person number I had here was my home teacher, mm. who's now my bishop. And he grabbed my phone out of my hand, so I couldn't make a phone call to my bishop. And he didn't allow me to make a phone call in the station. When I got there, mm. Scott. Um, yes, uh, oh. Donna. Uh, yes. Thank you for having the courage to come on and share this with us. And uh, Mia had told me a little bit about your story, and I had read it uh, previous. I was the state senator uh, over Murray, and <clears throat> my experience over the years with Murray is that it's a, a top-notch uh, city. And um, just hearing what, what you've shared with us today, uh, and there's always two sides to a story, and, and we certainly look forward to having some Murray representatives on. But it sounds to me, and the question I have for you is, what happened at the end? When did they finally say uh, enough's enough and you can go now? Can you kind of just share well, with us the next steps? Well, well, after I got the blood test taken, he wrote his report. We did like about uh, about ten other tests in the station of me walking, of them looking at my eyes, and me blowing. And then he said, "My eyes, they can't figure out my eyes. They got to put me in a dark room." So, Officer Allred and another officer um, took me into this pitch black. I'm so sorry, I'm so emotional. Oh, you're fine. You're fine. Just uh, breathe deep, my friend. Donna, we're here. We're here. You're okay. Well, well, they put me into this pitch black room, and I couldn't even see when I walk in. And they said, well, this is because um, we could see your eyes dilation. So they shone the light in my eyes, and they asked me to open my mouth. And they said, um, as we were doing that, 
the other officer was telling me, oh, like he wanted me to confess to doing marijuana or any drugs or any um, doing any ball. I don't know what kind of ball drugs. And I was petrified. I sure, was sure. Petrified because I felt like, you know, everybody, it was me and these two officers in the police station. And um, they had guns on them. And all my mind keeps flashing back to, I'm never going to hear my kid's voice. I'm never going to go oh, home. Wow. Because all I'm thinking is about Sandra Bland. Because here I'm in a dark room in a station that is empty with two cops, obviously not rooting for me. And then we came out that room. I was relieved. They wrote some more reports. And then he says, because you're a nice person, you're a nice woman, I'm going to let you go. But we usually jail people for these kind of things. Hmm. Give wow. me my phone. I don't know. I, I find that there's a lot of questions here that I think that, um, you know, I, I, I'm really intrigued to hear what uh, Marie has to stay, say about this. Um, however, when, when things like this happen, um, it, it, there, it's really embarrassing for somebody to come out and talk about this. So I just wanted to make sure that everybody knows that this is not something that you ever, if this has happened to you, that you ever want to get out and talk about because it becomes, it becomes something embarrassing for you or something to, and, and so I want you to know, Donna, this is, you should not feel embarrassed about this at all. And, um, and, uh, I, I never told anyone about it but my daughter who's an attorney and she's the one that got the attorneys and the ball rolling because I was so embarrassed and ashamed because I was ashamed because here I am in Utah and I'm a Mormon and people are accusing me of such a we have about 30 seconds um but I just wanted to ask uh, what do you in this lawsuit what are you asking for what is it that you want from Murray City I think this is important Primarily, um, my goal is to make sure that no one else has to experience this kind of a humiliation and trauma that has been done to me. And I want to feel protected and served by the law enforcement um, community. I would like the Murray Police Department to um, participate in, you know, in some kind of a mandatory annual department-wide bias training hosted by, like, a third party and um, and have some kind of diverse inclusion in the um, specialist. That's what I would like to see well, come up well, with. It. Donna, this, uh, thank you. I cannot believe how courageous you are. You're my new hero. <clears throat> and thank you in the spirit of John Lewis as we celebrate uh, – his passing in a good sense that he's in a better place. You know, if we don't, when we see something and we hear something, if we don't do something about it in his uh, words, then we're just wrong as a society. And you know what? There's police officers. There are elected officials. I worked for IBM for 34 years. You know, we have good apples and then we have some challenging apples. And your sense of forgiveness and just asking uh, to make things better for everyone, I think it's a good ask. And I think it's something that that uh, Murray City hopefully will stand up to in all my years and working with them. They're, they're pretty stand-up people down there. 
And, and Donna, I want you to know that you're, uh, you're our hero today. You get the Boyd Matheson Hero uh, uh, of the Day Award uh, for your courage to, to do the right things. And uh, th- thank you for not uh, getting angry but uh, holding your temperament so, you, we, so we can fix a problem. And, you know, we got a lot of things to do, and Black Life Matters, it, it, it's, a, it's a good cause. We, we don't want to go too far to the right or too far to the left, but we want to make sure that every citizen in the great state of Utah and in the United States of America are welcome and have equal rights. Well, next we're going to have Heather White up in the, in the next segment. Um, she is the attorney representing Murray City in the lawsuit. Up next. Wow, so much to talk about. We are here in Inside Sources. I'm Mia Love. I am guest hosting for Boyd Matheson and joined by special co-host Scott Howell, who will be joining me today and tomorrow. Uh, we just spoke to Donna Miller, um, who told us her story about what was happening, um, what happened to her um, uh, with Murray City Police, and she is suing the city. Um, and we actually have uh, a representative, a representative of the city, the city um, attorney, Heather White, who is on the line to tell us what she thought happened and um, give us some insight of, of uh, at least their side of the story. Heather, thank you for having me. Thank you for I coming heard, on. Um, two different components when Ms. Miller was speaking. One was um, how she was feeling emotionally, and the other was what actually happened. Um, what I wanted to start with is, like you said, uh, where the clear up some of the facts that were, I believe, misstated by Ms. Miller. Um, okay. And feel free to interrupt me at any time if you have any questions. Sure. Um, so Officer Allred um, was on his way to work when he saw Ms. Miller pulling out of the Fashion Place Mall. She was... Um, sitting westbound in the middle of State Street uh, in the uh, lane running northbound on State Street. And it appears that she was confused, and that's what caught his eye. She was um, sitting really in the middle of the road. And then she um, figured out that she couldn't turn left is what it appeared to him. And so turned right and made um, her way up to where she could make a U-turn to go southbound. And as she did so, she was straddling in and out of the lane of travel several times. So that um, is one sign of impaired driving. So you've got two instances now where she's sitting in the traffic um, the wrong way and then her driving pattern. So he decided to flip a U-turn and, and follow her and um, see if he could, you know, see what her further driving pattern was. And as he was doing so, he ran her license plate, which came back showing that she had no insurance on file. So she was stopped at a stoplight and he was stopped behind her. And he determined that based on her driving pattern and the fact that she had no insurance, that he needed to pull her over because she was a potentially a danger to the motoring public. So he did, and she pulls right over, um, and um, there is a dash camera recording that shows the interaction between him and Ms. Miller, um, which will be very critical in um, establishing um, and backing up Officer Allred's 
um, what what occurred. So when he stopped her, he approached the car and, and told her that that he thought she might be impaired and um, asked if she was sick. And she said, no, she wasn't, but she had taken some medications that morning. So there's the third sign. The first is you have the, the driving pattern, then you have the no insurance, and then you have the the fact that she acknowledged she had taken medications. But she claimed that um, she wasn't impaired, but he could test her. So um, he did he, the standard uh, tests that are done for uh, impaired drivers, and one of those is a portable breath test, which tests for alcohol. And she didn't demonstrate an alcoholic odor, so he didn't think that it would come back positive, the, the breath test for alcohol, and it didn't. And that's what he's doing is he's, he's, he's doing this investigation to determine what signs and symptoms she has or doesn't have. So he, he kind of ruled out alcohol at that time, but there's still the impairment and the medication issue. Okay, and so, so and as let he me was ask talking you, with her, could, he became more concerned interrupt. that she did not know what time it was. Uh, when hang, on a se- hang on a second. Okay, so you said I can interrupt because before we go on to this, there, there are a couple of questions. And yes. I just want to just put it out there that, you know, I, um, uh, as a former mayor, as a former city council member, as a person who has sworn in officers, I am, I, I love our officers. Um, there are some great officers out there that do some great things. And I want to make sure that everyone knows that I'm coming from this in a place where I am a support uh, supporter of police officers. But there are a couple of questions that I, you know, as, I, as I'm listening to this, um, it, okay, first of all, it's not a crime to, to take a medication, so um, if, especially if you're not impaired. So he did the alcohol test, and the alcohol test came out negative, which he said he thought it would come out negative. Um, and... Uh, y- they said that they looked and on file and they realized that he, she didn't have um, insurance, but she said that she showed proof of insurance. Is that correct? Yes, she did show proof of insurance. And so I, I guess I'm getting to the point where did it come from actually taking her and arresting her if there was no, um, if there was no um, traces of alcohol found, if he couldn't tell whether uh, she was impaired by whatever um, he thought that she may be taking. I mean, you could take anything from like Tylenol or, you know, uh, there, there are several medications that you can take that obviously um, still allow you to drive. The insurance was correct. So what led to the arrest that led to the um, interrogation afterwards for three hours and then led to releasing her? That's an excellent question, and what is 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 really the key factor. So, so he ha- has this driving pattern, um, and her confusion about not knowing what time of day it is. And so he performed, and she consented to perform these field sobriety tests, the typical field sobriety tests. So some of those are like the walk and turn, and and you know the the counting the numbers and all of those that you kind of see and hear about. So did she and, feel that? Um, another one is to follow a, a stable, uh, an object with um, your eyes only. And so she failed those field sobriety tests. She demonstrated that she had nystagmus in her eyes, which is an okay. indicator of, um, of uh, someone being on a substance. It doesn't, the, the eyes don't flow smoothly, and okay. did not. 
I don't have very much time. I'm so sorry. I know I don't have very much time. I'm giving you as much time as I possibly can. I know Scott has a question. I want to make sure he gets it out. Heather, uh, could you join us for this next segment? Because we've still, you haven't answered some of our questions, and I want to give you the opportunity to answer them. Would you be willing to stay with us this next segment? Oh, absolutely. Wonderful. We look forward to it. And uh, Mia, I I think uh, this is so uh, interesting and so important to the community. If you're all right, I'm all right. We'll just keep going. Yeah, we'll we'll just do that. That'll be great. Thank you. And thank you for listening to the Boyd Matheson program, starring Mia Love and Scott Howell. We're uh, we're big fans of uh, Boyd, and we'll try and fill those big shoes today. Uh, remember the text line five seven five zero 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 if you want to weigh on this subject. Have you ever been lost driving down a highway and not and not knowing which way to turn when you go to a new city? Hmm. We'll ask Heather about that when coming up. Okay, we are back, and we still have Heather on the line. I know that Scott has a few questions. Scott Howell, take it away. Hey, thank you very much, and Heather, thank you for staying with us. We really appreciate it. Heather, I'm still not clear. Um, the database showed that she that Donna didn't have insurance, but then she had proof of insurance. So did she have insurance, just yes or no? So she did. Sometimes okay. there will be a, a lag okay. in what's yeah, no, 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 that's, uh, as uh, Heather, you don't even need to go explain that. As one of the original authors of that legislation back in the day, I, I know it very well. And so uh, yeah. that was one of the concerns that we had. Um, right. I, Heather, the other thing is, um, you know, for me, just listening to the story and hearing all the things, I don't know of too many people that get taken into a, a, a dark room. And I, we have a text that just came in from one of our callers, and it said, good for Donna. I hope, I hope she wins. Taking her into a dark room to, um, they misspelled this, so her eyes would be dilated for the, the field test is BS. Uh, we have another one that came and wrote in and said, uh, love it. Mia knows her stuff. We all know it's true. The other one that I thought was interesting, skin color should not be an excuse for bad behavior. Take away the skin color in this story. You don't have a story. So it, it's kind of interesting that uh, our callers are weighing in. Um, Mia? I, I agree you- with that. Actually, I agree that, um, you know, this is this. I, I spoke to my husband about this before even covering this. And he said, Mia, um, knowing that I am a woman of color, he said, would you be uh, following this story if if it were about if she weren't a woman of color, if she weren't a black woman? I said, no, actually, I would continue to do this story if she were uh, uh, Hispanic, if she were white, if she were, it does not matter. To me, it's about making sure that um, we uh, that we do the training that needs to happen. This would be an embarrassing situation for anybody. And so, Heather, I just want you to know that uh, you know it, this is this is stuff that a lot of people are going to be looking at. We need to get comfortable having uncomfortable uh, conversations. We need to elevate the dialogue. Um, and I guess I just have one more question before before we end this because um, I, I, there are too many questions that I, I certainly were not going to be able to answer on the radio. But did any tests come back positive? Any of the drug tests that were given to her did it come back positive at all? So there was a blood test that was eventually administered, and it um, came back negative. But it is important to remember 
that there's a very limited amount of um, medications that it screens for. It's looking for things like cocaine, um, methamphetamines, a very small number. So just because a toxicology test comes back negative does not mean that there is no substance in the blood. And it's also really important to remember that Officer Allred, so there's two different um, time periods to this. There's what he did out on the street, and she failed the field sobriety test out on the street, which is why he arrested her. Then he took her to the to the um, police station and had a specialized drug recognition expert from the Utah Highway Patrol come and conduct some of the same tests and much more detailed tests. And that's when she was taken into the dark room. And it wasn't that they were looking for dilated pupils. That wasn't what it was. It was that they were looking for all these different things that happen with the eyes that can only be done in the dark when a, a light is shown. And a, and, and it would be frightening to be in that position. Yeah, I don't think anyone would argue otherwise, but there is a reason that those things are done, and it wasn't that they were trying to fabricate evidence, but if they, they were doing what they were trained to do to look for the signs of impairment. And the, the, the certified drug re- recognition expert from the state, Heather, from Utah Highway Patrol, Heather, you're, you, Heather, Heather, that he thought she was impaired. Yeah, Thank you. Heather. Well, I I think on that note, uh, the answer is no. Uh, she wasn't impaired because they ran the test where we find medication. Heather, can there be a good solution to this? Uh, and I'm with Mia. I'm the I've always been the supporter of public safety, and I've always thought that that they uh, deserve that first chance of opportunity to keep the law moving, but. In this case, is there some reasonability since uh, Donna's not asking for any type of monetary, but she's asking for some training and, and different things? Is that a possibility that maybe there was some mistake uh, or? Yeah, thank you. You know, things could have been handled better. Right. Well, let me correct you first. She is seeking monetary damages. Um, the second thing is, is Murray City does conduct um, trainings, particularly in specifically racial bias, implicit bias training. They do do that. And so you will, as this case progresses and the, and the information comes out, it will become clear to the public that this was not racially motivated, that this was not an overstepping of the bounds. The officers did exactly what they were supposed to do. And sometimes that means that people are... Um, uh, pulled over and demonstrate signs for impairment, and that's when they might not end up being. And that's why we have the justice system, which sorts that through, and whether and we have the jury system to determine whether someone is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. But yes, I agree with you that these are important conversations to have, and it is important for all sides to be heard. Um, it, yes. It's true. Which is which is exactly what we're doing here. Heather, thank you so much for coming on and um, talking about this. It's, it's, a, it's an important issue, and I really appreciate your insight. Thanks, Heather. Thank we you. appreciate your time. Thank you for having me and for allowing us to um, to uh, explain the officers and, what, and where they were coming from. Thank you.
You know, as I listen to this, Scott, it it, it um, is really quite interesting for me because, I mean, I can't tell you how many times um, I have gone into a new area where I was a little bit confused and <laughs> had to pull over, had to look at my to look at the directions You're to right. make sure. And it wouldn't be it wouldn't be out of the norm for somebody who just moved from Virginia right. um, to Murray to try and find, um, you know, their place. Um, but I, you know, again, this is such. Uh, these are great stories to talk about. I think they're, you know, this this is not something that I think um, is black white. It's about right and wrong, and it's about what kind of training we have. And if we're going to try and elevate the conversation and make things better for people, then this is what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to have these conversations. And I hope this works out well. I hope Donna can can um, at least get this taken off of her record. And I have to tell you, this has been a lot of fun. Great, Mia. I, uh, all I can say is amen. And Utah's 50-day moonshot challenge, wear a mask, maintain social distancing, isolate as needed, stay safe, and join us tomorrow join when us the tomorrow. Mia and Scott show <laughs> is on. Goodbye. Welcome back to Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. I'm Mia Love, and I'm guest hosting with my friend Scott Howell. Um, yesterday, we were following a story with Donna Miller, a, a woman who um, is suing the city of Murray for uh, racial bias. Um, she told us a story of being stopped by uh, the police officer, um, being tested with all of the tests coming uh, negative. We also heard from Heather White, an attorney for the city of Murray, and we had her on for two segments. And we obviously just want to be fair. So we, uh, somebody reached out to us and asked us if we could have uh, the attorneys or counsel for Donna Miller to talk about her case. And so today um, we do have a guest on. Um, his name is Jason Gouch, I believe his name, and he is going to be talking about um, Donna's case. He is uh, with the ACLU, the ACLU, and he is an attorney representing Donna in this case. Jason, are you on? I am. Hi, Mia. Hi. How are you? Thank you for coming on. Scott is with me. Tell Thanks. me, tell me about Donna. Tell me what what is going on. We heard her story yesterday. Um, it was really compelling. We also had Heather White, the attorney f- from the uh, city of Murray. Um, tell me, tell me what you're doing with Donna's case. Yeah. So right now we're just uh, trying to vindicate uh, some of the issues that she faced in this case. Um, like you guys already kind of know the basic background DUI stuff. Um, in addition to everything uh, related to that, there's collateral consequences with that case, right? That she, her car was impounded. She had to get her license reinstated. Um, that was about $1,000. And so when you officially moved to a new state and you got to cough up $1,000 out of nowhere, that's very frustrating. Um, there's also issues uh, with getting her license back. We'd advocate with the driver's license division um, multiple times to have that reinstated and get her um, reinstatement fee returned. Um, especially given that the case was ultimately dismissed. But at the same time, the the case was still prosecuted, despite knowing that she had passed all these tests. Um, and so just generally, um, and Donna can speak to this better than I can, of course, but generally that there's just been a, a lot of other consequences, too. Just going around, driving around the city is a much different experience for her now than it was before. Jason, uh, as a certified mediator, uh, have you uh, and um, the city talked about taking this to mediation as opposed to going through the judicial system? 
Yeah, that's, and that's a, the process that we've been working on. Um, but I guess I'm not going to get into the, the details sure. of where we landed on that. Sure, sure. Well, I think that uh, the the case yesterday was something that uh, I hadn't really paid that much attention to. But one of the things that the uh, uh, Heather, uh, the prosecutor, told us is that uh, there were other uh, um, elements found within with some of those blood tests. Do you know what they're talking about on that? And I guess if we took blood tests on everybody, we could do a whole panel and find something that's in our system. But is there relevancy to that in the case at all? Yeah, so that's that's a problematic statement. Just for uh, everybody's uh, own knowledge, my background, uh, I was a criminal defense attorney in Colorado, and I did a lot of DUI trials. And so um, listening to some of those discussions was, was problematic. The idea is to say that because this test didn't show anything doesn't mean there wasn't something in your system. Uh, when you, we know that we're dealing with a diabetes medication, um, doesn't make any sense. I, I myself am diabetic. I've been on oral medications, and I've sure. currently taken insulin. And an, uh, if an officer was trained on diabetes and somebody was having a diabetic issue where they're having uh, trouble driving, if they believe that they're impaired because of that, it's probably probably the result of a low blood sugar, and that's a medical emergency, and not a reason to try to do a bunch of tests and somebody to find hmm. some sort of uh, problem to arrest them for. Um, so that idea of, that we only screen a limited number of drugs that is like so small that it's going to miss a lot of problematic ones, I think is a very unfair characterization. Um, those panels do a pretty wide um, screening, uh, and so generally you're going to hit a lot of different types of substances that would impair your driving and cause a public safety threat. Um, in this case, uh, the officer would have known that she was taking a diabetes medication from the outset, and that is what she told him. Um, and so this idea that he was investigating for something else uh, is is a problematic narrative. Uh, well, it- Okay, so there are a couple of things. Let me just first of all say, um, it, this is not about police versus um, yeah. versus a, a a black Utah. As a matter of fact, I do believe that if this were anybody of any race, it would be worthy of our efforts to investigate and to look at because I think that um, it, it's important for us to have these conversations to continue. I keep talking about having uncomfortable conversations. It's important. Because at any point, if somebody is um, is has to go through the same things that Donna mm. Miller had to go through, um, I just think that it it was incredibly embarrassing for her. It was tough for her. Her car was impounded. Let, let's remind everyone also the facts that came from both sides yesterday was all of the things that were tested that she had tested for alcohol, marijuana. They all came back negative. Um, she also had insurance. At one point, she was stopped for not having insurance. She provided proof of insurance. And yet, all of these things still happened to her, and she still had to have um, so many uh, uh, financial and um, emotional issues to deal with after this. But with that being said, I mean, what can we at least admit or talk about um, the responsibility that an individual police officer has to be careful and diligent in a in a case like this? I mean, are you asking for any training at all um, so that could be part of that suit? Yeah, yes. Uh, I mean, I definitely agree that um, just as, like I said, my background uh, is in criminal defense, and any defense attorney uh, reviewing the facts of this case would be incensed um, at how this staff occurred. Um, I guess I just want to clarify, too, that 
The based on the conversation I heard yesterday, um, there's definitely some factual disputes. But if you read the officer's police report, when he first sees Donna, according to his report, which is what prosecutors rely on, right, when they charge a case, um, there's no mention of Donna appearing confused or that she's the wrong way in traffic. Uh, the only thing you can infer is that he saw Donna at a stoplight. Um, not moving, and based on the color of her skin, decided maybe I'll check this out. And we know in Utah that um, there are disparities in, in arrests and traffic stops. Easily, um, you just did a study where uh, we have the eleventh wor worst disparity rate in the nation for uh, marijuana possession arrests. Um, you are 4.9 times more likely to be arrested as a black person in Utah than a white person in Utah for marijuana possession, even though use rates are the same. So there's an issue with policing. So to get to that point, yeah, we definitely need to have better training on a lot of different issues. I think better DUI training here, better training on how people with diabetes are treated during these sort of stops, better training on implicit bias. Um, and that's going to be a long tail effort. And I know that right now um, there's still a lot of studies being done on implicit bias trainings, what's effective, what's not effective. Um, but we do know for sure that you can't just take one training and then all of these issues go away. Right. Jason, we only have a, a 30 seconds left approximately, but in our closing, can we create a win-win out of this? Yeah. Uh, definitely Donna needs to be remunerated for uh, reimbursed for expenses. I mean, that's just, that, that is, is wrong. But second of all, can we help our police force to be public safety officers first and number one? And can we create a win-win out of this? So we're much more sensitive uh, to uh, our, our black brothers and sisters and that we, we can end this predatory uh, signaling out. Yeah, I think we can, and that's the hope. And, I mean, it's just one of those things that at the outset i got to just say that everybody's impacted by implicit bias. This is something that I've had to work through as a defense attorney, just, you know, generally um, our mm -hmm. criminal justice system has to work through this. So this is like a holistic issue. This isn't just a Murray City issue. Like I said, there's a statewide right. issue with uh, different arrest rates, right? Um, and we have these disparities. And so just one of those, uh, as you guys have been saying, we need to have hard, difficult, honest conversations to make sure that this doesn't happen again. But we have to be and prepared. And those police officers... Those police officers that are out there that are doing it right, thank you. Yes, thank you. and we. But this is by no means uh, we're not bashing public safety. What we're saying is we can all improve and we can be better. And we need to learn that racism is zero tolerance. And we we've got to take that lesson. So, Jason Groth from the AC, ACLU, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate your time and insight and. Uh, Best to you and, and best, to, best uh, to Donna, Donna yeah. that uh, the right things happen on this. But I think it's a perfect time to ha create a win-win and that we end this bias profiling that, that goes on. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, and thanks for having me. And everyone, thank you for joining us on Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. I'm Scott Howell, and my great co-host, uh, Congressman uh, Mia Love, uh, we appreciate it. We're going into our final segment. So... You won't want to miss this. This is when the skies really light up with the fireworks. <laughs> Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? 
I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.